Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. Betches Media presents... Madam Speaker, Madam Vice President. You want to hang out with us? and get your vaccine. Vaccine, vaccine. And so I went to Human Resources. There are some things I just can't tell you uh, on air. The Betches Sup Podcast. A woman's problem, if you will. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. And this is the Betches Sup Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Happy Monday, everybody. Today, we are back with Amanda Littman, a Democratic strategist and co-founder of Run for Something. We have her back today because tomorrow is, believe it or not, it's election day again. So weird. Time flies. <laughs> so weird. It's November 1st and tomorrow is election day. Uh, yeah, I know there's been many memes about it, but I'm still in 2020, February. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a check for the first time this week and wrote 2020 on it. I was like, oh, man, I'm Ooh. a in the life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is rough. So the point of our conversation today is going to be how to draw attention to important down-ballot races on off-year elections. But I just have to take a moment to reflect on the fact that nearly a year ago, we cast our votes to uh, to vote against Donald Trump. I did, at least. I realized I voted in person. Did you vote in person, Amanda, or did you? Uh... I did. I voted early, I believe. No, I voted by mail last year. I voted by mail last year. And then I got to vote in person. Ooh, I voted in by mail in the primary and in person on election day. Same, same. Did you vote on election day, Sammy? No, I voted like, um, I feel like I voted on like October 30th or Mm -hmm. somewhere about that. Um, I came home to vote. Oh, right. We were away. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember people were waiting like hours and hours to vote early. And I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna gamble and go on election day, and it took me like two minutes. <laughs> oh yeah, it was like a 45 minute wait. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I remember we drank margaritas in the line. Oh my gosh, you did? <laughs> yeah, because there was a dose. Uh, what is it called? Rosa Mexicana, like around the corner. Oh, perfect, <laughs> perfect. Yeah. So the vibes are the vibes are slightly different this time around, and we're going to talk about what the vibes are, what they might be on Wednesday, and uh, what we're looking at for this election cycle. So. Tomorrow, November 2nd, Run for Something has endorsed 275 candidates on the ballot across the country. They're running for everything from state legislature to county coroner. Amanda, tell me, why why is it necessary for you to endorse coroners? (laughs) (laughs) Well, coroner is actually a really interesting one to call out, because if you think about the last year, two years now that we've um, been in this pandemic, uh, coroners make really critical decisions about what goes on death certificates. And it matters how we count those kinds of statistics, especially in so many places where uh, they don't want COVID to be real still. (laughs) Um, So are changing what's on these death certificates to change the scope of the the pandemic. Um, So, you know, these positions like coroner, like school board, like city council are so often underutilized, underinvested, underdiscussed, underrated. um, But the impact of them is huge for our quality of life and for the way that the rest of our society functions. Yeah, yeah. I remember a couple of years ago, we had a guest on who said something that was like so blew my mind about coroners that they can even be involved when it comes to uh, pregnancy loss mm-hmm. and whether that can even be categorized as a pregnancy loss or a 
homicide, God forbid. I mean, we're seeing in states in Oklahoma, I believe there's a woman who uh, was arrested for having a miscarriage. So these are really, really high stakes things. You elect not everywhere elects coroners, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a patchwork. There's about 1300 counties that elect coroners. So it's in a lot of places, but certainly not everywhere. Yeah. Is there a, do you know if there's a pattern where like if those places lean, you know, Republican or Democrat where they do elect the coroners? I actually don't. I know that there's uh, a number of places where it often changes. Um, like some places they used to elect it, now they're appointed. Others it's elected from a long time ago. Um, in a lot of places, they're technically nonpartisan. Um, it's one of the things that makes working on so many elections so hard is that everything is sort of a maybe, depending on where you are. Right. And the lack of consistency makes it makes it pretty effortful to keep up with everything. But that's why we have you here today. So because um, Run for Something is so cool. So I wanted to start off with like, can you tell us a little bit about the demographic makeup of your candidates this cycle? You know, who are who are we looking at tomorrow? Yes. Yeah, so Run for Something only works with people ages 40 and younger. And this year, more than half of our candidates are women. More than half identify as Black, Indigenous, and or people of color. Uh, about a third are LGBTQ+. Um, over the year, we've worked with candidates in 36 states. Um, they are amazing. They are teachers and nurses and refugees. There's a number of non-binary folks we're working with this year, a record number for us, which I think is really exciting. Um, and they are running for everything from state house, state senate, to coroner, uh, to county executive, to judges. It's a really cool class this year. That's so cool. And I'm sure this has been sort of looking forward to next cycle. You guys recently launched something with uh, Snapchat that multiple people in my life showed it to me and were like, have you seen this? This is amazing. This is so smart. How is this just coming out? Have you already had some success with signing people up to run that way? We have. So Snapchat reached more than 2 million people in the first week that the the mini rolled out. Um, And as a reminder, Snapchat reaches 90% of young people ages 13 to 24 in the United States. Like basically every teenager, you know, is on Snapchat. Yeah. Um, it's so cool. We've already had more than 5,000 people sign up with us through Snapchat. Um, and we know that about 10% of the people who sign up with us actually run for office eventually, which means 500 or more new elected leaders, new candidates for office in the next couple of years, just in those first couple of weeks of the program. So we're so excited about what they're doing, what we're doing in partnership with them. And there's so much more good stuff to come. Yeah, that is an amazing conversion rate. (laughs) I I was literally going to say like purely from a sales standpoint, like that is an incredible (laughs) conversion rate. Amazing job. They told us that of the people who land on the run for something page, like if you go through the mini, you know, you don't sign up at first dance, you like search the offices you want to run for, you pick the issues you care about, then you I sign up with one of the partners. They said 50% of the people who land on the run for something partner sign up page actually sign up with us. Which if you work in marketing, you know a 50% conversion rate. Like by the time you hit, I want to help and run for something, you're bought in. So we're comfortable. Yeah. And and this leads me perfectly into my next question before we start to talk about Virginia and some of these Mm -hmm. races, which, you know, you hear a lot about off your elections, like especially this one that people, especially voters might not be as animated without Trump on the ballot. I mean, he is on the ballot in a sense, but without him as a person actually being involved. Have you found that for young people that has impacted their engagement? Or do you think young people are just like they're in it to win it and they're engaged from the start and whether... Trump is in the picture or not, they know what's at stake. I think they're in it to win it. I mean, we'll see what the voter turnout numbers look like this week, but Virginia voter turnout already seems to be tracking really well. And on the candidate recruitment side, 2021 has been our best year yet. Like 
it has exceeded our records from all previous cycles. Um, we have seen just a surge, in fact, of young people saying, I am not done fighting for the issues I care about. Let me jump in as a candidate and try and change things. Are there like certain issues or t- moments where you've seen like surges of people interested in running? Yeah, right after the insurrection <laughs> in January last year, we saw, I guess this year, now this year. Yeah. <laughs> we saw. Oh my God. <laughs> But really, anytime we see a news story or something happen out there in which it, it is either clear that the opposition is batshit crazy or there's something that directly affects young people and inspires them. Um, so that can include everything from mask mandates being enacted or, or taken aback to book banning, which we are seeing in too many school districts across the country, um, to really inspiring stuff like Berkeley getting rid of police um, participation in traffic enforcement which is the number one way that people interact with the police is through traffic stops. Um, so when you take police out of that, it actually really reduces police violence um, yeah. against communities of color. So um, there's moments of good and moments of bad. And either way, people are willing to get engaged. Totally. I actually yeah. heard that Philadelphia is like no longer going to be pulling people over for low-level traffic violations. Really? That's is awesome. it Phil- I might I might need to fact check that it was actually Philadelphia, but – there was like somewhere I believe near there that's not going to be doing that anymore, which sounds great. Yeah. 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 We're going to talk a a lot about Virginia for the rest of the conversation, just because I feel like with all the activity going on in Virginia and discussion about, I feel like it's such a proof of concept for run for something about how these like local issues tend to surface. But, um, what else are you going to be watching closely tomorrow? I bet you're going to have a million tabs open. Which ones are you going to be refreshing like the most maniacally? <laughs> well, I'm excited about a couple of these municipal level offices we've been working on. Um, India Walton up in Buffalo, New York. Yes. Oh, yeah. Who's been in national headlines for the last couple months because her race is really moving the needle. She'll be the first woman mayor of Buffalo, the first socialist mayor of Buffalo in years and of one of these big industrial cities in quite some time. Um, she won this primary against the incumbent Democratic mayor. And then he was like, I actually don't think I'm going to let you take this role. Right. He's trying to run a run, a write-in campaign. Um, there's been a whole bunch of scandals around her race, including the, the New York Democratic Party chair comparing her to David Duke of the KKK. Oh, it's just a whole mess. But she is amazing. Um, so we're really excited about her campaign. We're watching Justin Bibb for mayor of Cleveland. Um, Cleveland is one of the poorest cities in America. Uh, it's the first time that they've had an open mayoral race in at least 21 years, I believe. Um, Justin is 32. He's a nonprofit exec. He's a young black man. He is so, so inspiring. He's so smart. Um, and he could be a real generation shift for, for Cleveland. And then I'm really excited about Dr. Tyler Titus, who's running for county executive in Erie County, Pennsylvania. And um, it's one of the swingiest counties in America. It's like, you know, it goes back and forth. Um, Dr. Titus is trans. They're non-binary. They're a social worker. They have a beautiful story of really, you know, coming into their identity and how it shaped their experience working with kids with poverty in the county, um, going from suicide ideation as a teenager now to an adult who really wants to lead and sort of model what it looks like to to be this kind of self-actualized, self-aware human being fully. It's just, it's so beautiful to see. Um, It's been a really competitive race. Um, I'm excited to see them win tomorrow. Yeah. If this year has shown us anything in, in politics and entertainment, it's that we need more trans and non-binary people at the table uh, when these decisions are being made. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners. I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you are searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. 
Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone on any occasion. Now it's easier to find gifts made by independent sellers for all of the people in your life, like the pickleballers, I know plenty of those, the jazz fan, the artist, the pasta lover, whatever niche interest they have, you can find an incredible gift on Etsy. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there is something for everyone. There is so much pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas specifically for my dad, but my dad loves flying, he loves airplanes, he loves aviation, and he never gets sick of a cute little gift that has a reference to that. And the inventory for that on Etsy is incredible. I hope my dad lives for 200 years because I can get him a birthday present related to aviation or planes from Etsy for every single one of them, if not hundreds and hundreds of years more. There really is that much. A gifting moment is always around the corner, but whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Hey there, overwhelmed foodies. Are you drowning in a sea of meal kit options, feeling like you're in a bad dating game where every contestant looks the same, with the same fish picture? Fear not, because amidst the chaos, there's one shining star worth your culinary affection. Home Chef is not just another fish in the meal kit sea. They're the gourmet catch that you've been dreaming of. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes, conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you and the entire family covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week, and they serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it is economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. So for a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash feverdream. That's homechef.com slash feverdream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life homechef.com slash feverdream. You must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. So again, let's look at the race tomorrow that's been covered the most, I'd say, because of its potential impact or perceived impact on national politics. Democrat and former Governor Terry McAuliffe is hoping to save his old job from the grips of Glenn Youngkin, who's kind of a Trumpy Republican. He's been waking at Trumpism, but also trying to keep some distance. There are also 100 delegate seats up for grabs in Virginia. Is that right? All 100? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So the concerns often manipulated by these local level politicians, things like race and like masks in schools, have really come to the surface in Virginia's gubernatorial race. And Virginia is unique for reasons we'll talk about, but it's not unique necessarily in this sense. These are strategies that the GOP is going to try everywhere. So partly for that reason, the race is seen as a bellwether for 2022. And if that strategy will work to win back some of these suburban Biden voters at a time when the president's approval rating is, is frankly pretty low. And even if Youngkin loses but performs well, I've seen that even this is a grim morning for 2022, which also look like it'll depend on whether Republicans can kind of, I guess, trick these parents into voting for them. And Joe Biden won Virginia by 10 points a year ago. So underestimating how, you know, the impact of these local issues can lead to grim outcomes for Democrats on a national level. This is not a new headline. You've been yelling it from the rooftops for for years. But I am curious about this governor's race. Do you actually think that extrapolating outwards to national politics based on the outcome in Virginia tomorrow is the correct approach? Are we extrapolating too far? Have we overcorrected? I mean, how should we analyze what we see for the rest of the week coming out of Virginia? I mean, I think we should take it as a warning sign, but not the gospel. Because in part, we have a year to change things. You know, what happens in 2021 does not determine what happens in 2022. 
um, it'll, we have so much time still to impact what happens next year. That being said, I do think the storyline of Virginia, of we saw earlier this year, maybe in starting like March, February, February, March, April, um, you started seeing protests at school boards meetings. You started seeing groups like Moms for Liberty, which started out in Florida and now has worked nationwide to organize uh, against everything from mask mandates to LGBTQ equity to accurate teaching of history in schools. Um, along with a number of major Republican donors starting to see, oh, these people are mad about something. Let's give them the tools they need to, to astroturf these protests. Then those organizations have started recruiting school board candidates. We then saw those arguments marinate themselves up into the governorship race because nothing animates people more than their kids' education. Um, I will say that is something that Democrats really need to keep an eye on because if it works, especially in these suburbs where in the last four years, Democrats have been able to make huge inroads because these suburban parents do not like Trumpism, but they they can kind of accept it when it's not coded by Trump's patina. Uh, There is a real danger here that if we're not able to fight back against this argument and able to find a way not to argue about whether or not students are actually learning critical race theory, like that's totally beside the point. We got to argue on the emotional level here that you're scared about what your kids are learning. You're scared about something that's totally out of your control. How can we navigate that? And unfortunately, especially in 2022, the answer is not going to be Congress because <laughs> there's yeah. not much Congress can do here. Like there isn't a compelling case you can make. It's got to start locally. So I hope, well, I think Terry's probably going to pull it out. I think Virginia state legislature is up for grabs and that's really frightening. Um, I do hope no matter what we take away from this, that these things that seem small that we're going to dismiss as astroturfed are really, really important to nip in the bud. <laughs> before they grow. I will say I had a dream and in the dream, it wasn't about Terry McAuliffe winning, but in the dream, in my psyche, he had won. So (laughs) there's that. But I do have a question, Amanda, about the way the media covers like this race and it being like so significant for like our whole future. Do you feel like there's any sort of self-fulfilling prophecy in the way the media makes these narratives? And like, is, you know, Sometimes it feels like if they they focus on the races as though they're the way races were in 2002 and instead of making it about democracy and the things that this is really about at this point, they're they're almost just creating this like very negative narrative that then kind of becomes reality. Absolutely. And I think part of this is, you know, a byproduct of the way the campaign has to sell itself in order to get national reporters to write about it is here's the national impact of it. Part of this is national reporters trying to rationalize to their editors. Here's why I'm writing about the governor's race. It's a bellwether. Um, And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because it it helps sort of sway donors and activists and operatives and what they do. Um, I especially think when we're thinking about the relationship between what's happening in Congress, you know, the reconciliation and infrastructure bills and what's happening in Virginia, um, there's very little connecting the two. <laughs> and the outcome of one should not dictate what happens to the other in either regard. So especially on that front, I think we got to be wary of any press narrative that tries to say what happens in Virginia will determine whether these bills can pass or not. It's like, no voter in Virginia is showing up because Democrats have, have or have not passed legislation. That's just, that's not, that assumes too much of paying attention on behalf of voters. We know that's not true. So. Right, exactly. And is there anything unique about Virginia that makes the, these outcomes like particularly inapplicable? Like, 
something about the populace or its proximity to DC that maybe doesn't make it like what should be what 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 things will just be are misapplied there. Well, I think part of it, as you know, is the prominent prominence of the DC media market in this. Um, Northern Virginia is where many. I don't know if it's about half, but it's where a large number yeah. plurality of the voters are coming from. Um, so they're dictated in part by the Washington Post and what's going on in DC news and what kind of ads people are showing to, to push members of Congress and lobbyists versus what they're showing voters. Um, Virginia certainly changed a lot. I believe now one in eight Virginians are immigrants or children of immigrants, um, which has changed a lot. I was born and raised in Virginia. That's not the Virginia I grew up in, and that's a good thing. Um, and I will say this is still sort of an quote unquote off year or at very least odd year election. You know, Virginia has statewide elections every year. Um, there are gubernatorial elections the year after the presidential and then, uh, statewide house of delegates elections the subsequent odd year. Uh, that makes it a good place to organize because you've always got an end goal, but that's also a little bit unusual. There are not too many states that with that kind of cadence. So, you know. In much yeah. like the, the gubernatorial recall of earlier this year with Gavin Newsom. It happened. You see what tactics work. You see what tactics don't. You don't draw too many conclusions. I do think it's worth seeing how polling plays out here. Because we mm. have saw with the governor's race earlier this year and over the course of the last couple of cycles, even if the polling is directionally correct, the margins are wildly off. And we use that. We say that at the end of each cycle and then we use the same numbers to sort of dictate how we act the following year. As if they are distinct. We still haven't fixed it. So keep an eye on I know. It's so that's like, I feel like I'm already like this morning I was reading headlines that were like, well, even if McAuliffe wins by double digits, which he still could, we should still maybe be a little bit scared. And I'm like, I think you're just already self-justifying making this a national story. So yep. yeah, lots of lots of good tips there for just how to analyze when this happens. We'll be watching the House of Delegates really closely. So many really important wins there oh, for Medicaid right. expansion. They eliminated the death penalty. They legalized marijuana, ban no-knock warrants. I mean, these are these are real things that, you know, as we're talking about through the years and people ask, what can we do to help? How can we actually make progress. I mean, these are, they happen on the local level. So we'll be watching closely according to your tips. Thank you so, so much for joining us, Amanda. Anytime. Awesome. Until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. And this is the Betches Sub Podcast. Bye. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.